0: Howdy folks, welcome to our podcast, American Cowboy in New Zealand. This has been Longwell with True West Horsemanship. We're glad you're here. Join us as we share stories and adventures and interview extraordinary men and women in the equine and ranching industries to gain insight into horsemanship and life itself. It is our mission to help people and their horses better understand one another and achieve together that which they cannot do individually. Thanks for riding along with us. Hi there, guys. Thanks for joining me today. Hope you're having a great day and you've been able to spend some time with your horses recently. We're going to have another story time podcast here today and share a little story from my experience and some lessons learned from it and just address a common occurrence that I think most of us have dealt with when we've been riding before and what we can do about it, some of the things that we might want to Work on to improve these situations. So, you know, I I remember it all happened faster than I could think or react, as is often the case with horses. They sure can move a lot quicker than we can, and this fact was reinforced to me on that hot day in midsummer 2005. I was in my first few months of an apprenticeship with Mike Ross at Eagleview Quarter Horses near Grand Junction, Colorado. And I was learning so much. It, it was nothing short of eye-opening to realize at a whole new level how horses thought and how to work in ways that made more sense to them. I had been riding most of my life but had not had much exposure to good horsemanship principles had only started one colt before I was kind of thrown into the deep end with Mike's nice quarter horse youngsters, as well as a few outside horses that he had in for starting. One example that stands out in my mind of situations that were well beyond my experience was that of a hybrid American paint horse stallion called Renegade. He'd gotten so bad to handle that the owners had just given him to Mike despite him being worth a lot of money. He hadn't killed anyone yet, but it must have been close. He was a pretty bad case. We were gradually working to rehabilitate him so that he'd be safe to work with and be around and and even use for breeding again. Like I said, he was really well-bred and worth a lot of money. At the time, we were keeping him in a small corral on the end of the arena and I had strict instructions to only go near when I was feeding him and even then I had to have a thick winter coat on and carry a flag he was known to lunge over the rail and try to bite people and other horses and I'd seen him make a few attempts at this it was certainly terrifying on this scorcher of a day oh it must have been about 105 degrees Fahrenheit or so I had several different work horses that I was working with and riding and they were all in different stages of development. And this five-year-old quarter horse mare that I was riding in the arena, was; she was called Legs. She was real well-bred and put together pretty nice, but she developed some bad habits we were trying to work on. She'd drop her shoulder evasively at times. She'd blow through the bend when she wanted to go elsewhere, which was really most of the time she was just real opinionated and... I think had been spoiled at some point just or or maybe never even did understand you know the idea of going where her nose was pointed and uh and being happy with taking much direction from people i remember i didn't really have a good grasp on the best ways to help her with this but i had been given some instruction to work with and i was i was trying to ride squares like basically straight lines and then turning turning sharply like a 90 degree turn and really just trying to help her recognize the difference you know, between the straight and the turn straight and then turn and kind of learn, help her learn how to be straight between my hands and legs through these transitions. Well, as I rode parallel to the end of the arena I made sure to keep a decent distance away from Renegade's pin as we made another attempt at a straight line And I went to make the sharp turn away. Now, I'm not sure what legs was thinking, but all I remember is I was thinking turn. And then very quickly, we'd gone the other way towards the stallion's corral. And I can still see his flashy sorrel and white head lunging up over the top rail with his big teeth bared. His bite closed down on the yoke of my shaps near my hip, very nearly sinking his teeth into my upper leg. It was like time stood still. I didn't have any better ideas, so I swung my fist at his nose and at the same time sunk my spurs into the mare's sides and we shot out of there like a bottle rocket. I was a little shaken. I looked down at my shaps and seen the leather torn and I, I realized it could have very well been my leg. You know, as common as it is, riding a horse that is not able to be directed in a predictable fashion is kind of like driving a car with a disconnected steering wheel. Sooner or later, you're going to go where you don't want to go. I call it rubbernecking. I'm sure many of you have probably heard that term. And I talk about this quite often at my clinics. get to address it quite often at different clinics. Uh, helping people to recognize what is actually going on what we can do about it in that moment and maybe understand why too that's happening and why it goes on so that maybe we can get to the bottom of it and it doesn't keep happening rubbernecking is a familiar thing to most writers to some degree this term describes what happens when we'd like to go to the left say and our horse is bending to the left but is going to the right, blowing through the outside shoulder or out of the bend. Almost universally, us humans do too much with our hands, which means pulling the reins at that point. So this results in more bend through the head and neck, and the more the horse bends to the left, the easier, biomechanically, it is for him to continue drifting in the opposite direction or blowing out of that bend. This is because he's no longer balanced on the bend with suppleness in his body, like we'd like him to be traveling, but has reverted to his natural diagonal balance with the synchronized movement of diagonal pairs of legs. They are capable of running top speed with their head and neck bent all the way around to their side. Though this is highly inadvisable. Matter of fact, that's pretty much the way they used to tip over horses in Hollywood and for the movies. And doing those stunt tricks and, and, and whatnot, making horses fall fall down. That's pretty much the way they do it, is they get their head and neck bent all the way around there. And so left unchecked, rubbernecking is almost sure to guarantee a runaway at some point. If that horse's understanding is not fixed up and the rider able to be more prepared understand what to do and really actually get to the bottom of it so it doesn't keep happening so what to do instead of just pulling more on the rein we need to make sure that the cue with our inside leg in the third position or reaching back to address the hindquarters is properly established to move the hindquarter away this can be applied to shift the hip into position so as to be in balance on the bend so instead of blowing outside you know being overbent and blowing outside the bend they get back in balance on the bend and with the inside hind engaging so the inside hind is the thrusting limb for forward but locomotion and if you get that engaging while they're balanced on the bend they've got a lot better chance of coming around and going in the direction you want them to be. Or, if they don't or can't take you up on that offer, our inside leg can be used to fully disengage the hindquarter altogether, taking the power out of their attempt at taking over and reinforcing the principle that they need to follow the bend you have established in their head and neck. Every young horse will try this evasive technique at some point if we're consistent with helping them find release when they're in balance and forward, they will learn to trust us to deal with what they may be avoiding or troubled by. In other words, they will learn to find release through response and build trust through surviving with us in that way rather than thinking that they need to keep running off or taken over and heading back to the barn, or whatever it is that they may be thinking that they need to do. Which brings us to the next question, enough of, about what to do, like what we're actually going to do in that moment. How about the why they're rubbernecking in the first place? Remember, it is a very important process for us as, as riders and aspiring horsemen to ask these questions, not just what to do, which is technique, or approach, or whatever it is, but to ask the questions and understand some answers around how, why, and when. These are important questions. These are really, really important questions, and if we understand the answers to them a little bit, we will find greater understanding of the what to do in different situations. So, in general, The reason they're rubbernecking is because they don't feel safe or comfortable where they are and or they feel safety and comfort are somewhere else. Whether they are spooking and beginning to take off or they're being drawn in a direction not of our choosing, we begin to feel movement that we aren't directing. This can be disconcerting to say the least and most humans react without enough thought or a specific strategy. Most horses will feel the need to try rubbernecking sometime early on in their ridden careers for one or both of the reasons previously stated. And if they aren't shown how to think differently, it can lead to some dangerous habits like a general lack of steering and even bolting. And this is where Legs was at that hot summer day when that stallion almost bit me. She had that habit of a general lack of steering and at a certain point, even bolting. As proactive leaders in the horse-rider partnership, we need to be able to recognize the root causes, not that we may know why they spooked, necessarily, and have a clear strategy for these situations. Basically, the physical movement in that moment is a direct result of the mind and emotions of the horse disconnecting from us and our communication because of outside circumstances. Scary objects, sudden noises, other horses or the lack thereof, perceived relief or comfort in other locations, etc. Instead of becoming overly focused on a particular direction or location I really think our focus needs to be on getting the mind of our horse back with us, trying to get our conversation going again and helping him to calm down and or find release and comfort as he tries to respond. This may be in movement, particularly if he is scared, or it may be in properly timed rest if he is trying to quit and head back to the barn or the trailer or the gate or whatever in other words we really need we really need to try to grasp the concept of making the right thing easy and the wrong thing difficult this is a very common saying many of us will have heard it before i talk to people all the time that have heard it before and yet too often as humans we tend to try making the wrong thing impossible which basically does away with the process of choice for the horse which is part of the thinking process, and also ends up making the right thing hard at best, which means there is no easy choice. If you make the wrong thing impossible, it usually means the right thing is basically hard, and there is no easy. There's no easy deal for the horse. So this is what we do, and we do it without even thinking or realizing that this is what we do. And, and this is how we teach horses to argue or fight with us instead of setting it up for them to find it and building a mental willingness. Never forget what Ray Hunt used to say, where the mind of the horse goes, the horse goes. We are after the connection with the mind, not just the physical outcomes in the body that we think we want. So next time you're riding your horse and you feel this loss of focus, and that horse is going in a direction you're not asking for. Try to figure out why, but try to help him change his mind. Make the right thing easy and the wrong thing difficult. We do this at the clinics quite often where we'll have horses buddied up and we'll set up a work zone for those horses where they want to be. It's intense. It's work. There's no rest. And then every time we rest or they want to have a chance to rest, or if they look about going somewhere else, then we let them and we rest them somewhere else in the arena or somewhere else in the on the trail, whatever it is. And it's these little techniques, these little approaches that we can start to use to change the mind of the horse. And remember, everything that's led up to that moment has either prepared you positively to pass that test with the partnership that you've got working, or... It actually has deteriorated your trust and leadership that the horse feels he has in you. And and, and we're not passing the test very good. So everything means something to the horse. Nothing means nothing. So we're constantly trying to work on better communication and understanding of what it is we're actually trying to get across to them. And what their perspective of it actually is. So I hope you find that helpful. Thanks for tuning in today. Hey, keep a leg on each side and your mind in the middle. We'll catch you down the road. Well, that's all from us today. Thank you for listening to American Cowboy in New Zealand. If you like this episode, please share and leave your five-star rating or review. Remember, you can find us on social media or our website, TrueWestHorsemanship.com.